Sportsbook. As always, today we're giving some updates on some five stars. It sounds like it might be five star August. We'll see. We've got some varying opinions across the hosts here on the pod. And then uh, we're going to dive into some picks and predictions for the national uh, college football landscape. We're going to pick all of our conference winners. We're going to pick some Heisman winners, uh, some teams that might surprise or disappoint, and uh, and several more as well. But before we jump in, Tyler, we've got a guest tonight. I'll give you the honors to go ahead and introduce him. Yeah, we've kind of gone back and forth on this. This is a guy that has been a frequent, uh, you know, kind of pillar of the podcast, you know, over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, obviously. Hey, uh, it was tough seeing him go, but you know, Adam, it's been kind of nice. Not, I'm not, not going to lie. It's been kind of nice. Just, you know, the last couple of last few months, just the two of us, but no excited. We are proud to have Corbin Polson joining us again. I was kind of up in the air, whether or not we wanted to invite this kid back uh, morale, at least on my part has been at an all time high. Now that's kind of a one-on-one basis. I know that for, you know, you, Adam Corbin, you especially, we'll get to that in a minute, but for all of our listeners that have been for, with us from the very beginning, it almost kind of felt like the vibe was whatever the topic or the question that w- we were discussing, it was always Corbin made. He went out of his way to make Tyler <laughs> or make so myself ridiculous. kind of look like a dumbass. So without what? further, what a welcome without further ado, intro. Corbin, welcome back to the podcast, man. Listen, Good to have you. Life is easier when one person's calling you a dumbass, not two. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. I spoke my truth. Uh, I think more times than not, I was right. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. Cool. It's good to be back, guys. Well, it's good to see you. Good to have you back. And uh, we've specifically wanted you to be on this episode because we knew that Tyler was going to have some really dumb takes later on. And I need some help to back <laughs> me up there. And really, the idea is, hey, we put our record out there of who we pick for these conference championships, who we pick to go to the playoffs, so that when we're inevitably uh, really wrong about that, we can make sure to remind each other throughout the year. But before we go into some national picks, Tyler, I know... Um, We've been talking about pretty much every week. It's almost like a weekly update on some of these five stars. Uh, who do you want to start with here? Well, I think we've got to start with the guy that everybody's been talking about, you know, over the last few months, especially within the last, you know, uh, you know, seven to ten days, and that is the five-star number one overall player in the country, defensive lineman Williams Wineri out of the state of Missouri, um, who we are getting closer and closer to the announcement coming up here a week from yesterday. It's going to be happening on August 14th. And from everything that we've heard, Adam, it's kind of been a back-and-forth seesaw battle between Oklahoma and Missouri. NIL is coming to effect. You know, Missouri is playing up the uh, – being the hometown hero, you know, choosing to stay home, play for uni- your university, represent your state, whereas Oklahoma, you know, in terms of a football program, and, you know, now that Oklahoma is playing the NIL game, it is a much more appealing um you know, dynamic to play at Oklahoma as opposed to Missouri, but you can't rule out anything that Missouri is doing. Eli Drinkwitz is kind of on his last leg. He's on the hot seat right now. So they're doing anything and everything possible to try to make his time uh, up there in Columbia work. And, you know, they're pulling out all the stops for Williams O'Neary and we'll see if Oklahoma can hold on. Corbin, I know, We've kind of gone back and forth with this. So I yeah. bet you have a fresh perspective on Winery and <laughs> m- maybe a negative one, but let us know, like, what's your feelings right now? Just six days out is, is, are you going to land this commitment? I don't think so yet. I think it's Missouri in six days. Uh, what happens between then and December, obviously who knows. Um, but I mean, the latest I've read on some of the message boards are like the parents aren't really in line with like him going to Norman. Sounds like they're eventually like excluding like the head football coach. Cause he has kind of OU ties. So it just doesn't sound good guys. It kind of does sound like the, like almost a Peyton Bowen, like recruitment over again, except uh, you know, just obviously a different player, different state. So, I, 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 my hopes are not high. I think it's Missouri. And again, 
I'd love to be wrong and he picks OU and, and, and I think we all know like if he picks OU the odds of that sticking are pretty good uh, if he doesn't I think your hope is that he picks Missouri because the odds to flip him from Missouri are probably much better than flipping him from a Georgia. Even though flipping an in-state kid from his his, his in-state school, that's going to be really difficult to do. So uh, I've kind of just tampered my expectations on it, to be honest. Yeah, I think last week we kind of labeled this entire recruitment was we were on twist 34 out of 100. Well, now we're a week later, we're on twist like 57 out of 100 with a lot more to go still. And everybody, including us, so like if you're listening to this, if you're watching on YouTube, we got you. Like everyone's clickbaiting this entire story here. Um, Everyone's trying to put out a new update every day, and there's really not anything new necessarily in a lot of ways, I think. So you kind of just find different ways to regurgitate what's going on, and and nobody truly knows uh, until, you know, he pulls the hat out of the bag or whatever he plans on doing uh, next Monday when he actually announces and again, I don't think it's over by any stretch uh, of the imagination because Georgia's not going to give up. Tennessee's not going to give up. Missouri's not going to give up. OU's not going to give up once he makes that commitment because we've seen time and time again, it could be a scenario where you know he commits to Missouri just to get a bigger bag from OU or, or vice versa or who knows what any number of different things mm-hmm. or scenarios that could play out there. Uh, so there's, there's obviously a – I mean, there's just so many twists and turns with these guys and – we should expect that when you have a number one overall player. Well, and Adam, that's par for the course. I mean, you're talking about a five-star defensive lineman, the number one overall player in the country. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie when I say that, you know, I probably, you know, represent, you know, most OU fans when I say that, you know, we all have PTSD when it comes to elite defensive linemen recruits. You know, we've been burned by, you know, several times over the last couple of years. You know, David Hicks, the most recent. But, you know, this is, you know, when you recruit a five-star like this and when you've got two fan bases who are as involved as Oklahoma's and Missouri's are on Twitter, I mean, you're just seeing the crazy stuff right now on social media. I mean, you've got people, you know, uh, posting, you know, fake crystal balls, you know, you, you know, weave silt fong has flipped his crystal ball from Missouri <laughs> to, to Oklahoma. So you're just seeing crazy things like that. And it's only going to ramp up as we get a little bit closer to next uh, to next Monday. Um, you just kind of hope that, uh, you know, the, the relationships and the conversations that uh, Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and Brent Venables are having with this kid, his coaches and his family, you hope that that with the NIL package that Oklahoma is offering is enough to win this kid's commitment here in, you know, less than a week away. But it's going to be tough. Um, and I, we'll see. Uh, there's a, obviously a lot, of, a lot more twists and turns to go. But I think that one recruit that there may not be very many twists and turns left and that is five-star David Stone. Adam, touch on this guy. Yeah, a guy that it seems like at long last will finally have some closure here because uh, he's been, you know, leaning OU for what, like a year or so now at this point. And in the grand scheme of things, he's probably the guy that you need uh, or have, um, you know, just because he's an in-state guy. I know he plays at IMG in Florida, but he's from Oklahoma. Uh, but you also look at the interior play that OU has really lacked. And I think there's options that you can find at defensive end Obviously, you'd love to get Williams Winery. That would be absolute best case scenario to get him. But it's harder to replace a guy like like David Stone, for example. Um, whereas you might be able to find a Daniel Koye or somebody like that to fill the role of Williams Winery, and maybe he can give mm-hmm. you you know a good chunk of what Winery was able to do. Uh, whereas David Stone just feels more irreplaceable. Corbin, are you kind of in agreement on that, or do you think maybe I'm am I valuing him too highly there? No, he, he's one A to me. I mean, maybe you have uh, Winery at one B, but like you got to fix the interior of this defensive line, and he's obviously a great starting point to do so. My only concern here, guys, is, like, David clearly loves the limelight, and he clearly loves, like, people talking about him. He made up visits 
that didn't, I don't know if they ever existed and put it like had somebody report on those visits. D- does he do something weird? It just, just because and not commit to OU, even though again, he kind of like I was saying before, maybe he ends up there. Does, is, does he mess with people that much where he pulls out a curveball and commits to Florida or Miami just to stir things up? Oh, I think that that's highly possible. Uh, you know, especially in this day and age where, uh, you know, a five-star, you know, top 15 overall recruit in the country that, you know, clearly loves the limelight. He, he likes the attention, the exposure. And, you know, that's only going to raise his, you know, brand awareness that much more if he was to, you know, do a one-off or, you know, maybe he commits to a Tennessee or a Florida. But then, you know, we, we continue to hear reports all throughout the season, you know, Oklahoma's kind of you know sticking their foot back in the door here they're starting to get back in with this kid and then he flips you know closer towards signing day I think that that's something that is highly possible but at the end of the day one thing that you do have to come back to it's the common variables with the recruits that are currently committed to this 2024 class and that is Jaden Jackson you know his teammate at IMG Michael Patterson McDonald who he you know grew up with is extremely close with he just committed you know a, a week or so ago so I think that you know David Stone is when it comes to these three recruits that we're talking about here, I think that he's probably the most sure thing, um, which I don't know if you can really ever say that when you're talking about, you know, lead defensive lineman in college football. But, you know, Corbin, you make a really good point as well. Not only transitioning to the SEC, do you have to beef up the interior of, of your uh, defensive line? And that's something that Oklahoma has lacked in, you know, for the better part of the last decade. But you take it one step further and you look at the guys that are currently on the roster, Isaiah Coe, he's done after this year. Jordan Kelly, he's gone after this year. So, there is a much more, you know, heightened awareness of the fact that we need to lock this kid up because, you know, chances are Oklahoma going into the SEC next year, this kid's going to be at least in the two deep rotation. And as good as this kid is, as freak of an athlete as he is, he's going to have the opportunity to start day one. Definitely. What about another guy in the interior of the defensive line? Kind of the opposite of Williams Lanary because, you know, we're all, hey, why should he pick Mizzou? Oh, you should be the obvious choice. But then you look at a guy like Dominic McKinley, for example, out of Louisiana, another interior defensive lineman, a composite five-star on, on most services that you look at. But OU fans have almost convinced themselves that we're not getting our hopes up. He's not going to go to OU. Um, he's going to end up at LSU somehow, some way. But here we are. We've been having the same song basic for, basically for the last couple of months here is that, well, LSU's kind of on the outside looking in. They could certainly work their way back in. But as of right now, it's – it's a Red River battle. It's OU in Texas. Yeah, I, I think personally, because of that reason, like I probably have OU third. I think Texas sounds like the favorite right now. And it's just hard to imagine, even with everything that's been said, that a high caliber defensive lineman out of Louisiana leaves the state of Louisiana. I would feel very similar. Like if, if he commits to OU now, I'd be terrified of LSU until December when he signs. So, um, yeah, I, again, I think Stone is where like I'm most confident is somebody ending up as as a Sooner. Mm-hmm. I probably have McKinley probably like third most confident that he ends up in Norman. Yeah, I mean, you I couldn't say it any better myself. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that is playing to this kid's recruitment is you know mom's definitely in his ear. You know, ultimately, mama ultimately wants to have one of the biggest says in this kid's recruitment. I mean, these are these are three really good options when you talk about defensive line development. And obviously with Todd Bates being a part of this Oklahoma staff right now, they can go out there and recruit and pitch to these elite guys and, you know, have a better chance than normal uh, to, to land them. But anytime you've got a crystal ball or two coming in for Texas, 
Um, but then you've also gotten the, the fact that this kid grew up and lives an hour away from Baton Rouge. Um, there's always going to be doubt in your mind, even if this kid does decide to commit to Oklahoma, you know, here over the next three to four weeks. So it's going to be a battle. And, you know, I, I don't even think that it's too far gone to say that if Oklahoma was to get Winery or Stone or McKinley or even all three, Oklahoma went six and seven a year ago. You know, you've got to go out there and you've got to play well. You've got to show progression. You've got to win football games this upcoming fall because as talented as those three guys are, your Georgias, your Bamas, your A&Ms, Missouris, they're not going to stop reaching out to these kids, even, you know, no matter how well of a, you know, brand of football you're playing. So um, even if these kids do commit to Oklahoma over the next couple of weeks, uh, we've got a long next three to four months uh, to, to try to hang on to these kids' services. Definitely. Hopefully we'll have a new podcast next week that will have a lot more optimism on this side. Cause it sounds like we're all kind of iffy kind of wait and see on a lot of different areas. And we know that by the time a lot of people listen to this, there's probably going to be, you know, 30 new updates that come out that uh, go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. So we, we shall see there. Tyler, what else, um, anything else uh, on odds and ends that you wanted to well, to cover here before we jump into the uh, conference predictions? Yeah, before we do our national preview here, obviously having Corbin, you know, joining us, uh, I just kind of wanted to take, you know, the next few minutes just to kind of pick his brain a little bit. Obviously, he's been out of the game, you know, since um, the, the transition to the SEC, you know, it did become official, you know, efforts have been ramped up a little bit and, you know, not just from, you know, the SEC, um, you know, adding Oklahoma, Texas, but... Uh, the Oklahoma administration from Joe C., from President Harris, there are clearly efforts being made to get Oklahoma, everything from the from the game day atmosphere, uh, the, the fan base, campus corner, the city of Norman as a whole, you know, ready for the transition into the SEC. So, Corey, I just kind of wanted to touch base with you. How close is Oklahoma to being SEC ready? And are there is there kind of a clear 1A, 1B things that, you know, Oklahoma needs to use this upcoming football season, you know, whether it's trying this out or they need to really, um, you know, ramp things up in this particular area before we make that transition next fall. Sounds like things are moving in the right direction. I would say from just a sheer fan base perspective, yes, Oklahoma is SEC ready. Now, the game day experience where tailgating is, things like that, I think need to be improved. There's been a lot of talk. I have not seen anything official come out of the Oklahoma administration about actual changes coming into the tailgating. Am I wrong there? If I missed that, I want to ask you guys, because if I have, I'll own it. But I have not seen any official plans for tailgating changing in Norman. Is that correct? I believe it's coming before kickoff. Okay, so we'll see, I think, when that comes. I also want to note one more thing. For all of the people that I see on the fan boards bitching and moaning about tailgate guys taking up space, that began in the SEC. They're all over the SEC. It is not just Norman where tailgate guys is. Get over it. It's part of the atmosphere. That is what it is. I've seen tailgate guys do some awesome stuff mm -hmm. uh, in different locations. It's not as big in Norman, so it kind of seems like a dud. If we were able to actually grow tailgate guys, like that would be a really, really cool area because of what I've seen them in other SEC campuses. So like, get over that stuff. Now, the administration has to open up Lindsay Street again. Uh, you can't take the corner of like probably the most prominent area to tailgate and then like give nobody else or give nobody anything else. So open up Lindsay Street, let tailgate guys do their tailgate guys things. And for the people who want that experience, let them pay for it. But you got to give something back to the fans south of Lindsay and, and knock on wood. That's exactly what happens. Uh, all the honors college students will get over it, you know, so yeah. we'll be okay. Well, and I think that, you know, it, it does need to be said that, you know, ultimately one of the guys that we worked with, you know, all, all three of us worked with at the athletic department. I think he was still, he was still at Oklahoma, obviously when, you know, we were in the marketing department, Corbin, but he left OU athletics to, to take a job yeah. running the East coast uh, side of tailgate guys. And, you know, you look at some of the pictures, you know, Auburn, uh, Alabama, 
Texas A&M is one that you know really pro- huge. really promotes tailgate guys, and they Ole do. Ex- Miss. Ole Miss is one, um, obviously up at the Grove. So uh, I, I do think the tailgate guys, it, you're going to see it reach a whole other level once Oklahoma does go into the SEC, and you've got Bama, you've got Tennessee, you've got the Gamecocks coming into town. I think that you're going to start seeing more. I don't know if Oklahoma transitioning maybe to more of the professional model would be the right way to describe it, but you're going to start seeing, especially with those, you know, premier programs from the South coming to Norman, you're going to start seeing some of these corporations, you know, from Oklahoma City, some from Dallas, you know, spending a little bit more money coming up here and, you know, um, hanging their banner, you know, renting out a booth, Mm -hmm. renting out a a tailgate spot. Um, So I think that you are going to see tailgate ramp up a lot more Norman, and I would expect an announcement to come on that. Uh, here in the next few weeks, from from away fans too, they're all familiar with tailgate guys and Revel X. Absolutely, they know who to call to Absolutely. go get a, get a tent set up. So you're going to see it grow for sure. Well, and yeah. I, I, Corbin, and I think that's a really good point too, and that's why Oklahoma does need to step it up a little bit because with some of the places that we're going to ne- next year, you know, you're going to Oxford, you're going to Baton Rouge, and I'm sorry for any Oklahoma fans that you know didn't get a chance to make it up to Tennessee a few years ago for Baker's year or get to go to Columbus when he planted the flag. The tailgating scene. And the the passion of the fan base, and ultimately, you know, the the university not handcuffing the fans on you know game days and giving them the you know the full uh, access to around the stadium to be able to tailgate, you know, have fun with their friends and family. Oklahoma's gonna have to make some serious changes, but it does sound like they are on the right path. Um, that we are moving closer and closer uh, to that coming to fruition. So I'm excited about it. I completely agree with you guys. I'm not going to beat a dead horse on the tailgating side of things because you guys covered it pretty well. What I will say is there's a lot of similarities to the questions we're asking here about where is OU as an administration? Where are the coaching staff You know, as a on-field result, as a recruiting product? Um, some questions that we asked uh, on a uh, survey that we actually collaborated with uh, with crimsoncaptain.com on for a fan survey of how OU fans are feeling. I just want to put a plug out there. I'll put the link in our show notes as well if you guys want to fill out that survey survey and participate there because there are going to be some articles coming out uh, that will uh, basically walk through how OU fans are feeling on, on this issue and a lot of other issues around OU as they head into the SEC. So make sure you check that out. Tyler, anything else here? No, I mean, I, I had a couple more things. Oklahoma, you know, number 19, the coaches poll. We're not going to worry about that. I don't want to spend too much time. That's, you know, we'll – Preseason polls to me are meaningless, so let's just kind of you know surpass that. Um, let's just kind of dive into it, Adam. Let's uh, let's go over our Power Five college football preview. Let's make some picks, and uh, let's see how much of an ass we can make Tyler look like. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm all up for that. So we've got four different categories here that we're going to go through for each Power Five conference. We're going to predict who's going to be in the conference championship game, who's going to win that conference championship game, and then we'll go over one team that we think will surprise and one team that we think will disappoint from those conferences here. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and do those first two as a combo there. So, Corbin, we'll give you the first shot here on the ACC as our guest. So give us who you think is going to make that conference championship game and who's going to be the winner there. Yeah, going a little bit chalk here. I've got Clemson and Florida State with a rematch in the SEC championship game, and I've got the Clemson Tigers uh, winning this. I think Clemson's defense will be a little bit improved, and you have a guy like Garrett Riley coming over to what seems to be a pretty good uh, young quarterback in Cade Klubnik. Uh, I think they will do uh, some good work at Clemson, and Death Valley will kind of be back on top for a bit. Yeah, I've got the exact same matchup in the conference championship game when what's ultimately going to be a rematch uh, from a game played earlier in the season. But I'm going to go 
a little bit of against the grain here. Ultimately, you know, Clemson's won the ACC seven out of the last eight years, but I like what Mike Norvell is building down there in Tallahassee at Florida State. You've ultimately got, you know, Jordan Travis, you know, Heisman Trophy candidate this upcoming year. Jared Verse, you know, ultimately is going to be a top five, ten pick in the NFL draft. They were able to fill some needs in the transfer portal, primarily at the wide receiver position. Keon Coleman coming over from Michigan State and you know, Florida State, outside of the matchup against LSU week one in Orlando, it's a pretty favorable schedule, uh, except for the week four trip up to Clemson to take on Dabo's group. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Clemson's going to beat Florida State at home in week four. And then I think the Florida State rebounds at the very end of the season and gets some revenge winning the ACC championship game. I've also got Clemson and Florida State. I don't know how you would pick anyone outside of those two to make it to uh, the ACC championship game in Charlotte there. But I have Clemson winning this year, mainly because we forget that Clemson won 11 games last year. And they were, you know, a force to be reckoned with until DJ Uyunglele took over that quarterback position. And we all saw that he really wasn't the answer there. And now he's transferred out. And now we get to see Garrett Riley come over, some new fresh blood uh, for the Tigers, something that Dabo really hasn't done in that program. I think that's going to do wonders for not only this team, uh, but for Cade Klubnik specifically, because He's a guy that going into his second year in college, I think he'll be able to to light it up a little bit. And so I've got the Tigers actually winning the conference. They get Florida State at home. They get Notre Dame at home. I know they're on the road for some other tough games like Miami and NC State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've got Clemson actually winning this year because they've they've been there, they've done that, and now they have a little bit of fresh energy there. So give me the Tigers. Let's keep the same order here as we go through our surprising teams. Corbin, lead us off here. Yeah, this was, I think, probably for me the toughest conference to pick a surprising and a disappointing team because I think everybody's about where they're going to end up. Um, But if I'm going to pick one and it's not too far-fetched, I've got NC State currently ranked fourth in the ACC preseason rankings. Uh, A very favorable schedule. Clemson at home, Miami, and UNC, they're all at home. Um, And if you can steal a game or two there, watch out for NC State being a dark horse to enter into the ACC uh, Conference Championship game. Again, I'm not picking them to do so, but I do think the opportunity is for them to be a surprising team. Yeah, I've got, we're, I mean, great minds think alike. I've got, I've got NC State as well. And I think you made a good point, Corbin. I mean, outside of Florida State and Clemson, maybe you sprinkle in Miami a little bit. I could really kind of care less with, with the ACC football for the rest of the conference. But I think you make a good point. I know that NC State, they lost Devin Leary uh, to the transfer portal over, over the course of the offseason, but they brought in Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. They're experienced up front. They've got, you know, their arguably two of their toughest games of the year on their home field. And I think they're going to surprise some people this fall. So uh, I'm going to take NC State uh, to be the surprise team um, out in the ACC. Well, I had NC State here as well. If you remember a year ago, I had NC State as my winner of the conference, and then Devin Leary got hurt. Mm. They kind of trailed off. They still had a solid season there, but I think people have kind of forgotten about the Wolfpack. So I think that's how they're so easily one of my surprise teams here. And you guys mentioned Brennan Armstrong pairing up with this former offensive coordinator. I think of NC State kind of as the K-State of the ACC. They're, they're really consistent. Yep. They're solid there. And for Brennan Armstrong, it's just really, for me, a matter of how much does Dave Doran allow him to just be Brennan Armstrong, or is he going to try to be more conservative and play a defensive style of of football? Mm -hmm. Either way, I think NC State's due for eight wins pretty easily. Um, They're over under right now, six and a half, so I think pretty easy surprise there. Corbin, who's your most disappointing team? My disappointing team is actually going to be Florida State. I think if you are a Knowles fan base, I think you're most likely thinking this is a playoff team. A lot of talent coming back from a pretty good team last year. Opportunity here to win the conference. I think, and based on just simply what I think the conference plays, I think they lose to LSU. I think they lose to Clemson twice. A three-loss Florida State team, to me, is probably disappointing 
considering they are probably one of the com- obviously one of the conference favorites and probably a dark horse to enter the college football playoffs. So to me, again, not a huge. It all depends on what you consider disappointing. Mm-hmm. To me, if 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 OU is in a similar boat to Florida State, right on cue. If OU is similar to uh, Florida State as far as expectations, a three loss season would be disappointing. I think it will be in uh, in uh, Tallahassee as well. Yeah, we're going to differ on that opinion, and we'll save that for the very end of the podcast. Most disappointing team for me in the ACC, I'm going to go with North Carolina. And, you know, Vegas right now has the over-under for the Tar Heels set at 8.5. I know they've got Drake May, arguably the second-best player in college football outside of Caleb Williams. Um, Defense, although, is still a huge problem up there in Chapel Hill. You know, they might score 50, um, but they're probably going to give up 45 to 55, you know, in the same game. And, you know, I'm not sure, guys, if you saw the the news a little bit earlier today, but actually who they the guy that they thought was going to be wide receiver one up in Chapel Hill, the transfer from Charlotte, Tez Walker, he was actually denied immediate eligibility by the NCAA. So um, not a not a good uh, not a good batch of news today if you're a Tar Heel fan. And biggest thing for me, guys, when I look at this over under eight and a half number, the schedule for North Carolina is tough. Uh, first five games of the year, South Carolina, App State, Minnesota, Pitt, Miami, and then it looks like three of the last four, you got to go on the road to Clemson, and then you've got to go on the road to NC State, go up to Raleigh. So tough ask for Mac Brown's bunch. Um, I think that North Carolina is going to have a disappointing season. So we're all in uh, different teams here, different camps. I'm going to go with Louisville, a team that is everyone's sleeper team so much that like everyone's awake on them at this point. I think really the only reason people are big on Louisville this year is because they don't have Florida State and they don't have Clemson on the schedule. But outside of that, a pretty tough schedule. You know, all their toughest teams are on the road. NC State, Pittsburgh, Miami. Mm-hmm. They get Notre Dame and Kentucky at home. Those are going to be certainly tough teams. But tell me if this sounds familiar. A new coach comes to town, installing a new system, brings in a quarterback that's played for him before, familiar with the system. Sound familiar? Sound like a team in Norman last year and everyone just assumes things are going to be okay? I, I'm not there. I think there's going to be an adjustment period here for Jeff Brom and Jack Plummer, the transfer from Cal that's going to be taking over that quarterback position. So um, I've got the Cardinals uh, looking a little shaky there in the ACC as my most disappointing team. Louisville to the Cheez-It Bowl is what Adam is predicting. To the Cheez-It Bowl. To the Cheez-It Bowl with six <laughs> wins. Let's uh, move on to the Big Ten here. We might have a little bit, a uh, little more interesting things here. This is where the pot really started to boil last year. We'll keep our same order for consistency here. Corbin, who do you got in the championship game and who do you got winning? I will never live it down on this podcast that last year I picked Nebraska to go to the Big Ten Championship. They weren't that far off. They did have an outside chance at the end of the year to make it to the Big Ten Championship game. You can laugh all you want. That is factually no, true. No, no, you're you're right. I was just I, we talk yeah. about it every single episode. The fact that Oklahoma beat that team by thirty five and then ultimately went on to go six and seven on the year. So no, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Certainly, I wouldn't do it again. I'm doing it again. Wow, State. Over Nebraska in the uh, the Big Ten Championship. I do think it's a bounce-back year for the Buckeyes. Guys, if you if you look at the other half of the Big Ten, pick, pick who you want it to go because there is no favorite in that side of the bracket. You've got Wisconsin with Fickle probably is the obvious choice because of, of Fickle's track record. But outside of that, who knows? Who knows ends up in the Big Ten Championship to, place, to face either Ohio State or Michigan. So Nebraska is as good as any. Uh, that fan base is hungry for some wins. Is we'll see if they eventually do it, but the schedule is favorable for them to do it. Is this the last season of divisions in the Big Ten? It Probably. seems that way, but who knows how they change things with all these new teams coming in now? Okay, yeah. well we're actually going to differ here a little bit. Conference championship matchup. I'm actually going to go Michigan versus Wisconsin. Um, 
I'm bullish on Michigan. I think that Jim Harbaugh's got things moving in the right direction. He's got, you know, arguably, I think you could probably make the case he's got the most talented quarterback in the Big Ten coming back in, J.J. McCarthy, you know, a stable group of running backs, you know, with with uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards Jr. The defense is going to be really good. You know, offensive line is coming off, you know, back-to-back Joe Moore Award uh, winning type season. So uh, I like Michigan uh, to, to ultimately win the, the Big Ten this upcoming season. I've got a different matchup than both of you guys here. I've got Iowa versus Ohio State. Uh, so all different teams from the West there. Really with Iowa, you've finally got a quarterback in Cade McNamara who can complete a forward pass. And you've got that 25 points per game uh, benchmark hovering over this Iowa offense for Brian Ferentz to keep his offensive coordinator position. Now, if Iowa scores 25 points a game, they might go undefeated. Uh, so the Hawkeyes don't have OSU. They don't have Michigan on their schedule. Um, but that Big Ten West is so wide open there. We forget that, yeah, Iowa's defense is so good. Like, you just get a little bit of production out of this offense with a quarterback who's actually taken a team to the playoffs, I think could be pretty meaningful there. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I do have Ohio State winning here. And really the thinking is that, you know, just like we predict with Nick Saban, oh, it's going to be the end of Alabama. I say woe to you who doubts Ohio State at this point because they have so much talent, so much depth lined up there. They've had two bad games against Michigan, really, over the last two years, and everyone's starting to write them off. And the first time, I kind of think Ohio State was like, ah, it's whatever. Like, they just got us. They surprised us that one time. We've beaten them so many years in a row. Now they've had that bad taste in their mouth for two years. Some of those guys are facing, you know, potentially losing to Michigan uh, for their entire career at Ohio State. Now I think they've kind of used this offseason and said, hey, everything revolves around beating Michigan. And when you look at Ohio State, they're going to have the two most talented guys on the field in every single game they play in Marvin Harrison Jr. and JT Tui Malowal. And they've got some great players in Trevion Henderson, who probably could have been a sooner if OU had been able to get a visit uh, from him during the COVID year. So there's a ton of talent on Ohio State. I think they end up winning out here uh, to take the Big Ten title there. Corbin, uh, surprising team? Yeah, I mean, it has to be Nebraska, right? If I'm going to pick them in for my my conference championship, it has to be. I, I think the favor, the schedule is favorable. You got Michigan at home. Your next toughest game is probably Wisconsin on the road and, and Iowa to, to end the season. So I think, you know, all of our picks here combined coming out of that side of the conference, like it's all going to be decided in those final two weeks of the season. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, they burned me last year not making it. But I – I just can't imagine that a Matt Rule team can be as bad and I, I have so many dumb football moments. I just can't. So if you can clean up a few of those things, you put yourself in position to uh, obviously uh, find yourself in the Yeah, the coaching is definitely going to you know be an uptick yeah. from Scott Frost to Matt Rule. Most surprising team for me, if I'm kind of the same line of thinking for you, Corbin, if I'm picking them to get to Indianapolis, i got to go with Wisconsin here. Uh, I think that the Luke-Fickle effect, this could probably be the most complete 180 that you're going to see from a, especially on offense that you're going to see from a philosophy standpoint, you know, Wisconsin over the, over the years under Paul Chris has you know, typically been an I formation. We're going to run the ball 40, 50 times a game. Now with Tanner Mordecai transferring up there to camp Randall to, uh, you know, lead this explosive Luke fickle offense. I think that Wisconsin's going to surprise some people. Vegas has their over under win total right now set at eight and a half. You get Ohio state at home, Iowa, your other tough matchup. They come to camp Randall as well. And then you really, your two toughest road games for the Badgers is Illinois and Minnesota. So I think that this is going to be a year where Luke fickle. Yes, he is going into a new scene. Yes. He has a new quarterback. I think it is going to be a different, um, different, you know, uh, chain of events than what we saw from Brent Venables a year ago. Uh, so I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I think that they're going to win nine games this season. I'm going with the uh, most surprising team here, the number two defense in the Big Ten last year after Iowa. 
not Michigan, not Penn State, not Ohio State. I'm going with Illinois here. They returned seven starters on this defense. Very quietly had a very good year uh, there in Champaign. And they're getting a transfer from Luke Altmeyer, the former Ole Miss quarterback. He's going to have future NFL wide receiver Isaiah Williams that if they can get that connection rolling there, I think this can be a really solid ball club that doesn't face Ohio State, doesn't face Michigan. Uh, they do host Penn State at home. So, again, Big Ten West team, I think they have a lot of room to sneak up on a lot of people and do some serious damage there. Let's move to most disappointing team. Uh, Corbin, who you got? Again, all depending on how you want to consider disappointing. To me, it's Michigan. I think they lose twice. And I don't think they make it to the conference championship game. I don't think they make it to the playoff. Um, and so if you're a Michigan fan, that should probably be the expectation after what's taking place the past two years, not getting there to disappointment. Um, I really think it comes down to they go they go at, at Penn State. I think they lose it, and they have Ohio State at home. I think they lose it. I really think it's as simple as that. Corbin, I'm going to base my prediction here based off the same parameters as you. It's how do you define a disappointing team? And I'm going to I'm going to do this based off the over under. Um, Ohio State Vegas has them projected to win ten you know over under ten and a half games. And I've actually I'm going to take the under on this uh, at Notre Dame, at Wisconsin, at Michigan. Then they get Penn State at home. I think they lose two at least two of those games. I know that you know from a talent standpoint on offense outside of the quarterback position that is unknown. You know outside of maybe Texas. You know, they've got the best wide receiver room in the country, and but I still don't think it's going to be enough. I think that they fall to Michigan, and I think they lose at Penn or they lose to Penn State in the shoe. Um, yeah, I think that they're going to go 10 and 2, and they will not make the conference championship game. And uh, that seat that Ryan Day is sitting on is going to get pretty hot, which is kind of crazy to think because over the last three, you know, a year ago, uh, Ohio State fans is pissed off that they are, they lost to Michigan and they lost to Georgia, the number one and two teams in the country. So, but again, that's uh, that's kind of the uh, um, you know the toothpick that you draw when you choose to coach at a place like Ohio State. This feels like the freezing cold takes that we revisit later in the year. Oh, it's let me most definitely. Any, let me stop anyone that's rushing off to uh, get their Wisconsin Big Ten West uh, uh, tickets there at the casino. I've got Wisconsin as my most disappointing team here. They had a record scratch of an offseason, just in the sense that you have a new coach coming in with a totally different system, totally foreign to what the culture, uh, the players are used to there in Wisconsin. I know he brought in a lot of portal guys, including Tanner Mordecai, um, but this is totally different than what Wisconsin's used to. And I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing for them necessarily. They have some receivers. They have a lot of transfer receivers in there that really haven't done much at their previous stops. Um, so I have a lot of concerns with can Wisconsin be productive playing this type of football in that climate as the season goes on. And especially if you're going to change up this offense and possibly diminish your best uh, player in running back Braylon Allen, I have a lot of concerns for the Badgers here. I don't think it happens in year one. Uh, a lot of people are predicting them to go to the Big Ten championship game just like Tyler, but I'm not on board with that. I, I think it's going to take a few more years for the Badgers to to get back and, and rolling. Before we move on, guys, uh... Just being me and Tyler both in the state, expectations for Colorado. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. They're Pac they're, they're part of Pac, Pac they're part of Pac twelve. Yep, I've got for the them moment. here. <laughs> yeah, for for yeah, one year. I'm taking least. them in Nebraska. Big Ten on my mind. Sorry, guys. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk Big Twelve. Uh, uh, the future conference of the Buffaloes. Corbin, who do you got in the oh, championship game? Who do you got winning? Jump going to Big Twelve. Jumping around here. Let's say let's say Pac twelve here. Pac twelve. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Pac-12. Uh, I've got the USC Trojans over the Oregon Ducks. Uh, I think this is the final of the year. I don't think USC goes undefeated, but I think they do enough to make uh, the conference championship game. 
and what maybe is Lincoln Riley's last year as a head football coach uh, in college football. They go out on top. I think I think Caleb Williams is too too good. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same line of thinking here. Um, I've got USC uh, against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game out in Vegas. And as much as I hate to say it, be, because I think that the Pac-12 is going to kind of cannibalize itself from about two down, there are a lot of good football teams. You know, outside of maybe the SEC West, this is probably the the best overall conference uh, amongst those top five or six teams. So, yeah, I'm going to go USC-Washington here. I know that it's it's Lincoln-Riley uh, in terms of postseason play. Um, we'll ultimately dive into that here in a little bit. But I think that Caleb Williams, he's the best player on the field no matter who he's playing against. Um, and while I don't expect them to go undefeated, I think the USC is going to do enough to uh, uh, make it to uh, Las Vegas, and they are going to win the Pac-12 this year. I've got Washington and USC in the Pac-12 championship game. It was kind of tough to separate Washington, Utah, Oregon, USC, all those teams. They, they have very similar uh, schedules, very similar teams in my opinion. But Washington gets Oregon and Utah at home. They travel down to the Coliseum for USC. So a, a few more home games for the Huskies. And I like what um, the defense is at, uh, at uh, Washington there. A lot of attention goes to Michael Penix in that offense. Um, but they were the third-best defense in the Pac-12 last year. They returned a lot of that defensive line. So I have a little bit more faith in what they're going to be able to provide. And I'm probably biased in, in, in this next pick of picking Washington to win the, the Pac-12. But I just can't – I know Caleb Williams is great. He may very well win the Heisman again. It's, it's very possible. But I can't get over the fact that I've seen Lincoln Riley's teams progressively get worse every year – that he's at a school. At least that's what we saw at Oklahoma. So I'm sure it's biased making me go that direction, but another year with Lincoln Riley's culture, another year with Benny Wiley's strength program, I mean, shouldn't that mean that they potentially struggle, just like we saw OU struggle the longer Lincoln was there? Again, probably biased, but I'm going with the Huskies for that one. The la- the, the, the lack of respect for Utah. Coming off, well, I just think it's no, 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 no. I, I'm saying, I'm saying across the entire country, coming off back to tough schedule, off back to back conference tough schedule, quarterback recovering from an injury. Like, if it wasn't that way, I think I would probably pick them to play in the the championship game there. But maybe yeah. that's one of our surprising wouldn't surprise me at teams. all if Utah was in the conference championship again. Um, surprising. I'm gonna go Washington State. Um, Schedule is kind of favorable, and I do think those four schools that are now left in the, the Pac-4, <laughs> I don't know how many of them are good enough to do anything about it, but if there is one, I think it may be it may be Wazoo. Um, and so chip on their shoulder, maybe trying to prove a point as all these kind of higher echelon teams move out of the conference in the final year. Mm-hmm. Things get weird in Pullman, so let's just like let's go with it. I, I can see on paper – very unlikely, but on paper, I can see Wazoo making eight wins. I think that'd be surprising. Most surprising team for me in this one, and I'm picking this group not because they won ten games last year. Maybe that does disqualify them from making this pick, but it's not this. It's not the sexy pick. They don't have the same appeal as the Oregon's, the SC's, Utah, um, you know, Oregon, so on and so forth. But I'm going to go with the Beavers um, of Oregon State. Ultimately, like I said, they won ten games a year ago. They got the transfer quarterback DJ Uyangalale from Clemson. Um, I like the coaching staff that, that they've got up there. I think that, you know, based on the schedule that they have with the roster that they've got coming back, particularly some of the guys up front, I think that uh, DJ and Oregon State is going to have an opportunity. They may not make it to Vegas to play in the Pac-12 championship game, but I fully expect that they're going to ruin somebody's season 
uh, with one of those weekends uh, this upcoming fall. And I believe they avoid USC on the schedule. I believe well. so. Right. Yes. Yeah. For my most surprising team, I've got uh, a team that can score with anybody, but has a really hard time stopping anyone. Not talking about USC. I'm talking about Arizona here. Uh, Jane Delora out in Tucson there uh, with a ton of good receivers, despite losing uh, Singer to the Trojans uh, in the transfer portal. I think Arizona is going to be a team that, you know, there's just there's so much in the psyche of these Pac-12 teams right now. Are they going to the Big Ten? Did they get left out? Are they going to the Big 12 but don't want to go there? I think Arizona is not going to be affected by that as much because they really wanted to go to the Big 12, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I think they can kind of push that to the side of what's going to happen after this year. Am I going to transfer because I don't want to be in that conference or I don't want to be left out of a conference? I just feel like things are going to go better for the Wildcats, uh, especially with, uh, I think we're in year three of Jed Fish right now. So I think this program surges as the uh, most surprising team in the Pac-12. Uh, disappointing. Yep. Uh, this is actually kind of where I am going Utah. Um, I don't want to because I, I do love the Utah program. Mm -hmm. I love the way they play. I love the kind of the, the, the style and the culture of that place. But you look Florida at Baylor, at USC, Oregon, at Washington, at Oregon State. My God, that's pretty tough. Um, now, if there's a team that is built and culture-wise to kind of withstand a schedule like that, it is Utah. But I just think at some point that that has to wear you down. Um, so I do think Utah comes back just a little bit disappointing this year. Again, uh, what are the parameters in which you define a disappointing team? I'm going to go with Colorado in this instance strictly because of the shine and the flash that has been on the the Colorado program that Dion has brought to the table since he's arrived up in Boulder, I think that that light is about to get blown out um, here over the over the next four months because, like you alluded to, Corbin, you look at the schedule that Colorado's got in front of them at TCU, Nebraska, at Oregon, USC, at Arizona State, Stanford, at UCLA, Arizona, Washington State, and Pullman, at Utah. I know that Shadair Sanders is getting a lot of hype. I know that Travis Hunter is getting a lot of hype. But let's not forget, guys, back at Jackson State, there's a huge difference between playing that type of football where you've got the best probably 10 to 12 players on the field at all times on your roster. I think that this is an instance where, yes, those two guys are going to have their moments. They're going to succeed. Uh, they're going to have some shining, you know, bright moments this upcoming season. But I think that the coaching is where you're going to see this this uh, program just get absolutely wrecked in their first year. And by no means am I expecting, or do I think that the general public is expecting Colorado to go out there and win six or seven ball games? But looking at that schedule, I find it you I find it hard pressed to to give me what three wins maybe. All right, that's what I was going to say. Are you taking the under? What is it at three and a half? Three and a half. I'm taking the under. Wow. All right. Which naturally means they're going to win seven, but. <laughs> if they win seven, Boulder is going to be in quite a frenzy heading into the Big Twelve. If they year. win seven, is Dion in Boulder next year? It's a great question. On a side note, recruiting not going the greatest for Colorado right now. We'll see if they can pick things up there, but I think people expected it to go a lot better uh, with Dion Sanders on the recruiting side of things, and mm -hmm. maybe it'll be like a closing day finish uh, for uh, for the Buffaloes there. Sure. For my most disappointing team, I'm going to UCLA here. I know that practice reports right now are saying that Ethan Garbers is the number one quarterback right now, but a lot of people think Dante Moore is the, the five-star freshman is going to be the guy that eventually wins out there. And I think the only consistent thing that you can predict about true freshman quarterbacks, I'm talking to those fans out there that think Dylan Gabriel should get benched, is that the only consistent thing there is that they are inconsistent. 
And so I don't think that's going to play in the Bruins' favor. So I've got UCLA as a team that probably takes a little bit of a step back this year. Let's move to the SEC. Corbin, lead us off here. Yeah, I've got uh, Georgia winning the SEC again this year. Really only one tough game on on their schedule. Um, And that's obviously going at Tennessee. I think Tennessee has a tougher schedule. So even if Tennessee does happen to win that, it's very possible Georgia still goes. Um, But I do think it's Georgia. And I think Alabama has a bounce back year this year. I know everybody's very high on LSU. I was listening to college radio today and like people were upset that LSU wasn't ranked in front of Bama because that's, you know, they beat them last year. They were in the conference championship game last year. Wheeling back a little bit on LSU. Not going to be my most disappointing team, but I just think Bama has a, has a bounce back. And it's something I say very similar to uh, when things are very quiet in Stillwater in the offseason. Oklahoma State tends to be pretty good. Things are very quiet in Tuscaloosa right now, and that's probably something everybody should be keeping an eye on. So I know that quarterback is a big question mark, and Bama's schedule is very, very tough. I think Saban kind of bounces back. He's heard for two years now, one time including on national television, I think in the national championship game, that Georgia is now the best team in the country, mm-hmm. period. That doesn't sit well with a man like Nick Saban. So I think uh, I think Bama bounces back this year, makes it, but still does lose to Georgia in uh, the SEC championship. Yeah, I've got the same matchup, Corbin. Georgia is going to win the SEC East. I was so close to wanting to pick Tennessee just because I'm buying what Josh Heupel's yep. building up there in Knoxville. I like uh, Joe Milton, the, the opportunity that he's going to have this upcoming season. So Georgia, you know, we, we make fun of the fact that Oklahoma's schedule is as easy as it is. Georgia might have the easiest schedule in the country when you go, you know, based on the competition between that program and everybody else on the schedule. Um, Georgia's going to win the SEC East. I think that Alabama, I think that everybody that is riding off Nick Saban in this Alabama program, there's a lot of hype behind LSU, rightfully so, coming off of the year that Brian Kelly did in year one. Uh, You know, Texas A&M's got the hype again. Ole Miss is another one uh, that they, you know, many people feel that that could possibly be a 10-1 team in the SEC West. But I think that Alabama – there's been a little bit of a different buzz coming out of Tuscaloosa over the course of this offseason, and it, you know you really started to, to see it over the course of SEC media days with some of the local media days up in Tuscaloosa where some of the leaders of that football team just kind of talked about how Alabama's going to get back to Alabama roots where it's going to be it's going to be playing good, tough, physical defense and then running the ball down your throat for four straight quarters. And I think Alabama is about to remind everybody who that Alabama is Alabama. So give me Georgia versus Bama. Um, both teams are going to be undefeated going into that and Georgia's going to win it. I've also got Alabama for many of the same reasons that you guys just mentioned. There's a lot of holes on that roster. I don't necessarily know that we'll see like a huge star or Heisman contender at the quarterback position, but those holes on the roster, a lot of people say those are question marks. I see those as opportunities because yeah. there is so yeah. much depth uh, in <laughs> very highly ranked top uh, you know, recruiting classes that Bama has stacked up over time. And same thing that I mentioned earlier about Ohio State, Woe to you that says, oh, it's Alabama's demise. LSU is going to take this division. I don't think LSU has that same amount of depth there. LSU has to go to Tuscaloosa this year. And then for the same reasons you guys mentioned, Georgia, super easy schedule there. I think those teams will match up in the SEC championship game. But one thing that Georgia is not really going to see until they match up with Bama is a team of probably equal talent level. And there's there's still... The, all the off-season stuff that's hovering over Georgia with you know all the speeding tickets and just the weird stuff that's going on there, I don't yet know how much that's been a distraction there, but I kind of wonder if we don't really know what this Georgia team is until they get to Atlanta and play Alabama there. Um, I've got the tide uh, taking the SEC here. Again, every, you know, on paper reason should be the Bulldogs here, but 
I'm not counting out Nick Saban. I think he's got a final hurrah. I don't know how many more years he's going to coach, but I think he reminds people a lot about himself this year. Let's talk surprising teams, though. Surprising team. Again, a tough conference for me to pick a surprising team. Uh, I have way more disappointing teams to choose from than surprising ones. I can base this off of nothing except for certainly Florida isn't that bad. That's it. That's all I got. And so uh, Florida will be my surprising team. Could they get to seven wins? Because to me, based on how everybody's talking about Florida right now, that would be pretty surprising if Florida gets to seven wins. So you just got to think the flagship school in the state of Florida cannot be that bad. We'll see. I I may eat my words on that one. I couldn't find anybody else I thought was genuinely going to surprise people. So we'll see if it's Florida. Surprising team for me, I'm going back to the state of Alabama, and I'm going to Auburn for this one. I, I was so close to picking the Sweaty Sams of Arkansas, uh, but I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Auburn here. Ultimately, you know, Brian Harson's out, Hugh Freeze. You know, regardless of what you feel about this guy from you know a, a, an ethics standpoint, you know, just based on the you know what he is as a human being, the guy can fucking coach and he can flat out recruit. So this is going to be an instance where we've seen it over the last four to five months. Uh, Auburn, you know, really upgraded the roster, uh, the, the talent that he's got at some of the key positions. Is it as good as a Texas A&M or an Alabama? No, but coaching can make up for some of those dividends. So I think that this is going to be an instance where um, if they can figure out the quarterback play at Auburn, I think that this is a, this team has an opportunity to win seven football games this upcoming fall. So give me Auburn to uh, be the surprise team in the West. Last year, my most disappointing team was Texas A&M. I nailed it. I now have them this year as my most surprising team. And everyone kind of looks at this and says, Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino are incompatible. It's not going to work. It's going to blow up in their face. Um, And then Petrino (laughs) is going to get fired halfway through the year. And then Jimbo Fisher is going to get bought out at the end of the year. What no one's talking about is that Connor Wegman is probably a good enough quarterback that he keeps the peace between the coaching staff here. And there's so much talent there and the wide receiver core. Uh, Wegman's probably, uh, he's got to be one of the highest ranked uh, quarterback recruits that they've had in a while. He showed some flashes last year, but again, he was a true freshman. Again, anyone out there who thinks Jackson Arnold should start over Dylan Gabriel, Connor Wegman struggled last year at Texas A&M. I think he has a lot more success this year, year two of college. And I think, you know, there's just too much talent for Texas A&M there to not win eight games. I think that is kind of a surprise for what a lot of people have pegged for the Aggies. Man, that's tough, Adam. (laughs) At at Miami, (laughs) Bama at home, at Tennessee, at Mississippi, at LSU, South Carolina. You're making making my point for me, Corbin, coming up. I'm not worried about Alabama. A&M always plays Alabama great. I'm worried about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. All right, that's fair. Uh, moving on to disappointing. I had three teams, A&M included, to be potentially my disappointing team. I'm actually going to go South Carolina on this one. I think they caught a lot of teams by surprise last year. And if you look at the schedule, you got UNC early, which I know they may be disappointing compared to the past, but you, you like Drake May early is, is tough, right? Uh, that's going to be a really tough game. At Georgia, at Tennessee, at A&M, Kentucky, Clemson. I don't think they have quite the luck that they had last year. Uh, they're not going to catch quite the the break. Spencer Rattler played out of his ass in a few of those games la- last year. We have never seen him play like that before. Put 60 on Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, I, I think things get humbled uh, at the University of South Carolina this year. That's, that's a pretty tough schedule. Again, parameters. What are you going to base this off of? I'm going to I'm going to stick with my over under win totals here. Texas A&M has a, Vegas has got the odds set at eight and a half wins. You go down the list, look at that schedule like you just did, Corbin. At Miami, Auburn, Arkansas, Bama, at Tennessee, South Carolina, at Ole Miss, at LSU, and Mississippi State. Tough. 
I'm just going to say this. I, I know that that team is extremely talented, particularly on the defensive side of the football, and that, that defense has an opportunity. If it can come together, that can possibly be a top-10 defense that they've got down there in College Station. The problem that I have with it, it is the egos of the guys in charge in that in that facility. Bobby Petrino, he's an alpha. Jimbo Fisher, he's an alpha. And I think that it's pretty obvious that this was Jimbo Fisher's, pretty much his life raft that he threw out there. He's pretty much putting all of his chips on Bobby Petrino to come in here and save this Texas A&M offense. Now, is that going to work? I think that we're going to find out a lot about Texas A&M in week two when they travel down to Florida to take on Miami. And that is a pivotal game for both of those programs. If A&M goes to Miami and loses, and you look at the SEC slate that they've still got left, the 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 pressure is going to be turned up even more so than it already is on Jimbo Fisher. And I just don't see any way that this team's able to win nine football games. I know that they're talented, but that schedule as tough as it is and Aggie going to Aggie, I think we're going to see it again. They have to do it at some point before you can believe sure. it, right? I sure. Mean, yeah. Prove me wrong. I, I hate that I have to root for A&M now just to prove Tyler wrong on this particular scenario. <laughs> Bite your but tongue. Let's, but, but let's also, uh, for the record, I said eight wins for A&M would be surprising even though their win total is eight and a half because I think a lot of people have a very negative view on, on the Aggies right now. My most disappointing team, I'm in agreement with Corbin on this one, South Carolina. They lost their running back. They lost two tight ends in the portal. They lost their best defensive lineman. And I just don't think there's anywhere uh, up to go for the Gamecocks. Spencer Rattler is your quarterback. So not much else to say there other than, hey, this team lost to Missouri mm-hmm. by nearly two touchdowns last year. Uh, so I just don't think this team is is going to have um, you know the run that they did last year in the month of October, as they like to say in Columbia. Yes or no? Uh, Spencer Rattler is going to be the quarterback for South Carolina when they come to Norman next year. Because if, if South Carolina has the type of year mm. that we think they're going to have, does he come back for one more season? I think he grad transfers before he uh, returns to South Carolina <laughs> okay. and has to play at OU. Okay, last conference here, Big 12. We'll talk Big 12, then we'll get to our national picks here. But before we talk conference championship matchups, Corbin, i got to ask you just your initial thoughts. Brent Venables, year one, going into year two, and your thoughts on the jump that Oklahoma is going to make with Team 129 this upcoming fall. Really torn. Uh things are never as bad as they seem. They're never as good as they seem. And let's be honest, last year felt really, really bad. A possession or two goes a different direction. This is probably an eight, nine win team pretty easily. Um, But they still were six and seven at the end of the year. Um, I really have no idea what to expect because everybody says that this team on paper should be easily a nine to 10 win team should probably end up in the conference championship game. You probably should have said the same thing last year though, too. So I have literally, I mean, my expectation, I do have Oklahoma in my conference championship game. I think the schedule is favorable enough to get there. I think the defensive improvements will help them get there. And there does seem to be a difference in this year's Dylan Gabriel versus last year's Dylan Gabriel. Uh, Seems a little bit more confident. Uh, I won't go as as far as say cocky or anything like that, because you can't be after winning winning six games in a season. But I do think this team starts to turn it around. Um, If you don't, boy, Next offseason will be very interesting and Norman as you head into the SEC. Um, but yeah, this is, I, I've said it to you guys in, in private. I think mm. this season dic- dictates the next decade for Oklahoma football. It's a big one. If you had to put your last dollar on a record prediction, or let me, let me rephrase this what's more likely, seven and five or 11 and one? I mean, you have to put your money on 11 and one just, just sheer schedule wise. Right. You have right. to. 
Um, would I be completely knocked on my tail shocked if this team goes and wins seven games? No. I mean, my, my lack of trust in, in that program right now is, is warranted. So I think it is, it's probably going to end up somewhere in the middle. Um, but I legit have no idea what to expect. And I don't know if we'll know anything till Dallas. Yep. I've said that for the last two months. Yeah. Last year we were what four or five and zero to kick off the year, and everybody was high on their we, horse and excited. We beat your Big Ten champion prediction, uh, Nebraska, yep. by thirty five. Yeah, we thought that Reggie Grimes was going to be an All American. Haven't seen him. And Nebraska, haven't seen him you since. play that. You play that game in November. Nebraska may win that game. So you know, I. That's probably it's, right. <laughs> it's. Uh, I really, guys, I really have no idea what to expect. I am at a complete. All loss. right, let's reverse order this here. Um, Adam, conference championship. Who's playing in it? Who wins it? Until about 20 minutes before we hit record, I had Oklahoma in the conference championship game Ooh. versus Kansas State. I'm still going with the Wildcats there, but I said, hey, I've, I've got to review this. i got to take off my crimson colored glasses, try to without bias review, should OU be there? Because I still had Texas beating K-State and Oklahoma, but losing some other games and missing out on the conference championship game. And when I went back and reviewed things, I said, hey, I, I don't, I'm not in love with Quinn Ewers and I'm not in love with Texas necessarily getting out of their funk and finding a way to win those games that seem to always trip them up. But I just have to say, hey, you know, I've seen Texas do better with what they have on their roster than everything that, even though it's positive at OU right now, I just haven't seen it yet. Everything's in theory. Everything is unproven. And so I, I can't in good conscience, pick OU to get there. I, I, I still think there's a path there where OU wins every game but Texas and makes it to the championship game. The Longhorns get left out because mm-hmm. they lose at Baylor, they lose at TCU, or those games that we they should win necessarily. But um, I just couldn't do that. So I've got K-State losing the first matchup with Texas in the regular season because they do have to go to Austin. But then I've got K-State winning the rematch uh, in Arlington for a second straight Big 12 title for the Wildcats. They've got a great offensive line returning. So does Texas, but I think K-State gets the revenge in that game. I can't believe we're all in agreement here. Um, I do not have Oklahoma making it to Arlington. The, I you do. do. We're not all in Okay. Here. Well, and that's that's the crazy part, too, because I'm, I'm probably the most homer you know guy on this podcast right now. And I the, the schedule is going to give Oklahoma – the easiest opportunity maybe in the last, you know, 10, 15 years to get to Arlington to have a spot in that big 12 championship game. But even though the competitive depth has gotten a lot better, even though they have really upgraded the talent at some of the key positions, particularly on defense, for me, there's still a couple of question marks on this football team, particularly at tight end and at wide receiver. I know there's a lot of smoke about, you know, Julio Farouk. I know that Gavin Freeman, his stock is going through the roof right now, but I still, I have to see it to believe it, and I never thought that I would say that about Oklahoma when looking at football over the last 20 years. But I've actually got Texas, and I've got Kansas State. Um, guys, call me crazy. I think Texas is going to go to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama in week two. Call me crazy. Ooh. I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I know that we say every single year Texas is back. But when you dive into this roster and you look at the talent that they've got on both sides of the football, particularly at the skill maker position on offense, Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Neor, the, you know, A.D. Mitchell, the transfer from Georgia. If they can get the quarterback position right, if Quinn Ewers can just live up to a half of what his expectations were coming out of high school, this is the best roster in the conference top to bottom, and I don't really even think it's close. So I've got Texas beating Alabama. I think they're going to beat Oklahoma. 
in the Cotton Bowl, but I think that they're going to lose one, maybe two games where they should it. Typical Texas fashion, they're going to beat Kansas State in Austin, and they're going to rematch the Wildcats uh, in Arlington, and I think that Texas is going to win the Big 12 this year. Uh, Adam, I've got your original pick. I've got Kansas State over Oklahoma. I do think Texas beats OU in the Cotton Bowl. Texas's schedule is much more difficult than Oklahoma's, and I don't really don't think it's that close. There's more opportunities for Texas to stumble on paper than what there is in Oklahoma. So I do think Texas has the head-to-head. I think that's OU's only loss in conference, and I think uh, because of that, I think Texas loses a couple and um, just simply gets beat out. But I do think K-State is better. In Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's pretty lucky they don't have them on the uh, the regular season schedule. Um, so yeah, Wildcats back to back. Texas Tech and Baylor not on Oklahoma's schedule. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my most surprising team. I've got Oklahoma State here. They've got an over under win total of six and a half, and I know everyone's just you know throwing the dirt on the casket already and saying, "Hey, the season's over. And they're not going to do anything." And Alan Bowman is is kind of a weird thing. Like, am I going to put my hope in a guy that really hasn't done anything since Kyler Murray was uh, running the sidelines there in Norman? Mm-hmm. And it really is just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not betting against Mike Gundy. Time and time again, and pretty much every recruiting class he gets, because he doesn't get great recruiting classes, he gets the most out of those guys that nobody knows their names of until the end of the year, when all of a sudden they've got a really good team. And the same reason that everyone likes OU's chances this year because of that Charmin soft schedule is the same reason I like Oklahoma State here. Yep. I, I wrote down three uh, road games here as their most challenging. And really, one of those just changed with Iowa State. They don't have a quarterback now. West Virginia, I guess that's <laughs> tough because they have to go to Morgantown. And then you got Central Florida, who you think, yeah, that should be a little bit tougher, but that's November 11th. And that's a team that we know is building up their depth to play in a Power 5 conference mm-hmm. still. So I don't even know if UCF is going to you know, have – the same bodies that they could throw at OSU if they were to play on September 28th, for example. So I think Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy will surprise some, te- uh, some people this year. Corbin, are you going down to the state of Florida for your most surprising team? I don't want to take this. I've got the same team as Adam. Okay, because I, I almost picked UCF as my as my surprise team, but I'm actually going to go out to Lubbock uh, for, for this one. Um, I'm I'm – I'm I'm a buyer of what Joey McGuire is doing out there in Lubbock right now. Obviously, with his his ties and connections to the state of you know uh, state of Texas in high school football, he I think he's you know building something to where Texas Tech is going to have the opportunity once OU and Texas do leave. I think the Tech is going to have as good an opportunity as anybody you know to kind of claim one of those top two or three spots in the conference and. I know that you know that they've got a lot of you know returning production um, coming back from the team a year ago, but, but really for me, the thing that gives me a lot of confidence in Texas Tech, they play extremely well at home. We saw that last year under Joey McGuire beating Oklahoma and Texas uh, in Lubbock. You go down and you look at the schedule, I think they're going to beat Oregon week two in Lubbock. Again, call me crazy, call me Big 12 homer, but then you go down and look at the rest of the schedule. Yes, they've got to go to Texas to close out the regular season in Austin, but really the next three toughest games in conference – they get UCF at home, they get TCU at home, and they get Kansas State at home as well. So do I think that they're going to win 10 games? No. But would it surprise me if we look up at the very end of the year and you see Texas Tech, eight wins, maybe even nine wins? I'm buying what Joey McGuire's doing out there in Lubbock. So give me Texas Tech. Yeah, I'm going right back to Stillwater. No Texas, um, no Tech, no Baylor, no TCU. Uh the first weekends of October and November are going to dictate Oklahoma State season. Kansas State at home, Oklahoma at home. If you win one, you're in conference championship conversations. You win both, 
you may be controlling your own destiny to go to Dallas. So very, very interested. Again, as I mentioned before, things very quiet in Stillwater. Nobody expected much out of the Pokes. This is where Gundy typically is at his best. I'd expect that again this year. My most disappointing team is up in Lawrence, Kansas. The Jayhawks aren't going to catch anybody by surprise this year. I know everyone kind of romanticizes around Jalen Daniels being such a dangerous quarterback, but let's look at the record here. Most of his good games came against Tennessee Tech, against Duke, against Houston, West Virginia, and then he ran into the number one defense in Iowa State. It was pretty pretty terrible uh, in that game. No shame in that. Good defense. Um, then was out for several games, came back, and probably the two best teams he faced all year against Kansas State and Texas, his team lost by an average of about – uh, 30 points per game. So I think the Jayhawks are still still building up a lot of depth here, and I think everyone's going to be well aware of of the dangers there and prepare appropriately for uh, for that team. So I, I think they may even miss a bowl game. Yeah, I, I like that pick as well, Adam. Most disappointing team for me. Um, I'm going down to Fort Worth. I think the Horn Frog fans are about to return to Earth uh, from the magical season that they had a year ago. Um, I know that Chandler Morris is back and, you know, obviously if we, you know, kind of rewind to this time a year ago, there's a reason why Chandler Morris was the starting quarterback over Max Duggan. They think that highly of him. He is that talented. We'll see if he can put it together this season. But I think that this has more so to do with what they lost a year ago, not just from a player personnel standpoint, but also the fact that they lost Garrett Riley to Clemson. And if we, if we really want to be honest here, as good of a season as TCU had a year ago, they were they had one of the luckiest runs that I think I've ever seen a team have in college football season. And then you pair that with the fact that they lost Quentin Johnson, they lost a big portion of their defense to the NFL in the graduation. And then you look at that schedule that TCU's got, and I think that Vegas has their over-under win total right now at nine games. Just looking at where TCU's going to have to go on the road, at Oklahoma, at Texas Tech, at Kansas State, at Iowa State, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to have to go to – you're going to have to play Texas and Baylor at home – I'm basing this off of the over/under win total. I think the TCU is a um, eight-win football team at best. Yeah, again, kind of we've said time and time again, what is disappointing to me? The disappointing team is Texas. Uh, you're the conference favorite. You have the most talented roster in the conference. And my prediction earlier, I don't think Texas gets the conference championship game. That's a disappointment. I actually think it's probably one of Texas's best years mm-hmm. in recent history. I think it is a good football team, but the expectations don't meet reality here. So I've got the Longhorns uh, just just too tough of a just to, I just don't trust Just it. to put you guys on the spot, obviously, because I think that I have a much more higher opinion of Texas uh, than you two guys do. When you look at the the layout of this conference as a whole, you've got the four new new guys joining the party. You've got some turnover in Stillwater. Quarterback play across the conference is honestly probably going to be down a little bit outside of TCU, Oklahoma, and Texas. Why are you not as high on Texas outside of the fact that it's just the, the stereotypical thing that we say every single year that Texas falls flat on its face? Why are you not as bullish on Texas as I am? To me, it's just sheer schedule. That's that's it. I don't I don't think this is a bad team. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, probably a in conference a two loss team. I do think they lose to Alabama and Tuscaloosa. So you think at the end of the year, up until this season, I think most fans would have taken a three loss season. That'd probably be a move in the right direction. I still think it probably is a move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But you look specifically Kansas State at home at TCU, Iowa State, and Tech at home. Tough way to end the season. It's very very possible that you can lose two of those last four and find yourself on the outside looking in. I agree with that. You know, I, I just think it's a tough schedule for them there, but yep. I mean, I, I switched them into my conference championship game. So I think that's a very successful. That, that would be the most Texas thing ever. You go on the road, beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, then you lose two or three games. You, you exactly. lose to Iowa state or Baylor. I, I can see that. 
Um, Let, okay, I just want to be clear and make sure we're on the same page. There's one conference championship game that we're all rooting for, correct? So you Texas, isn't it? Has to and be. OU Ca- for many oh, reasons. Oh, absolutely. It- I think we all want OU Texas in the last Big 12 championship oh, game. Oh, I, I mean, I'm gonna, we're going to be rooting for Oklahoma, obviously. But, I mean, just how sweet of a feeling that's that would be for Oklahoma fans to watch Brett Yormark and the Big 12 hand Brent Venables that trophy and Oklahoma rides off the sunset with pretty much a middle finger to that conference from <laughs> everything that's happened yeah. over the last few years. There could be a scenario, though, where OU just wants the last say against Texas Tech, against Baylor, against K-State, three teams that we lost to last year. Sure. And it kind of builds up the drama of, okay, everyone's rooting against OU in that uh, Big 12 championship game. They want one of those remaining teams to win that. And then OU goes in and just smashes them versus OU Texas. All the drama is kind of out of it. It's just which team going off to SEC will be able to own it to, to everybody else at that point. Corbin, I'm going to put Let's talk. Corbin, I'm going to put you on the spot one final time. Obviously, while we have you on, you mentioned Oklahoma is going to be favored in every single game this upcoming season outside of the trip to Dallas to take on Texas. If there's one other opponent on Oklahoma's schedule that you could pinpoint and saying that's the next most likeliest loss for Oklahoma outside of Texas, what would you look at? And why is it Arkansas State? <laughs> <laughs> I think you got to circle. You got to circle Bedlam at that point. If what I'm predicting from Oklahoma State is true, that's a pretty high-ranked matchup, and that's the one you have to look out for. Oklahoma State has everything in the world to play for. Who knows the next time this game is going to be played? It's in Stillwater. That place is going to be loud, even though it is only forty-five thousand people or whatever it is. That's that's the one. If Oklahoma State does what I expect them to do, that is a massive matchup in Stillwater first week of November. Let's round things out here quickly as we're a little bit over an hour here with our Heisman picks, our playoff picks, international championship picks. I'll kick us off with Heisman pick. I'm going with Marvin Harrison Jr. Again, I just think he's one of the most dynamic players in the nation. I think the spotlight's going to be on him, and Ohio State's going to have a nice bounce back year. So a lot of great storylines there for him to win the Heisman. Uh, Corbin, who you got for this? Caleb's going back to back. He's too good. I want to pick Caleb, but I'm going to go a little bit different here. I'm going to say that this is the first. Has there ever been a tight end that's won the the Heisman Trophy? Brock Bowers. Going Brock Bowers at Georgia. Wow. I just don't think his stats are going to be wow enough um, as a tight end. He may have enough wow plays, though. Sure. He might. He might. Corbin, let's go with uh, you to kick us off here on your four playoff teams and let us know who you got winning the college football playoff. Yeah, going in order, I've got Georgia number one, Clemson number two, Bama number three. I think Georgia wins the SEC championship game, but Bama's one loss gets them in. And then I've got USC over Ohio State for the fourth spot. Tyler? Damn. I've got Georgia at one, Michigan at two, Florida State at three, and USC squeaking into that fourth spot. Yep. Are, sorry, were we picking national champions here as well? No, uh, we'll save it. We'll Georgia. Save it. Or, go ahead. Okay. Save it? Yeah, okay. save it. I've got it. Alabama one undefeated. Georgia number two, just one loss in the SEC championship game. Ohio State third. I've actually got Ohio State undefeated here, but Georgia staying ahead of them. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Two versus three. And then I've got yeah. Clemson in as number four. So that leads us to our national championship picks. Uh, Corbin, go ahead. Georgia over Clemson. Georgia over Florida State. Wow. Wow. I've got Ohio State over Alabama here. So I'm rolling with the Buckeyes. Bounce back here. Georgia three, Pete. That would be crazy. I, I just feel like... It's hard to do. It's yeah, hard I just to feel do. like the... But I can, there's nothing out there for me to pick against them, though. That's the well, thing. Well, I mean, if they, if they get past that trip to Knoxville uh, against, you know, Joe, Joe Milton, I mean... 
Nobody else is going to touch him. I don't think so, at least. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I mean Ohio, Ohio State, State will be good enough to beat them. Michigan will be good enough to beat them. Um, Ohio State should have beat them a year USC, ago. USC could score with them. Oh, God, um, give me that matchup. Give me Georgia at one and USC sneaking in at four. Please give me – I have a weird feeling that you, if, if it is Georgia-USC, it will be very similar to Ohio State-Georgia last year. A shootout and USC probably has opportunities to win it. Does this sound familiar? And they don't. Bear Alexander revenge game. Mm, I would say that it is more likely that it favors the Georgia TCU outcome. Ah, Caleb's too good for that. Thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We greatly thanks Corbin for coming back. Yeah, thanks Corbin for, actually, for being back on the pod. Clearly, I've been gone too long because me and Tyler agreed on uh, way I know, too much. I know. Well, well, we promised to fix that. <laughs> it's for the next altitude, time for all Adam. The it's altitude, Corbin. We share the same altitude <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, that's right. So. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.